Our scripture lesson is found in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3 and going through verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise and of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Bless, O oh Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, O oh Lord, our rock our only strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. Isu and Laura Rayo of Goleta, California, on the Friday after the 4th of July, lost their home to wildfire. It was burnt to the ground. Last Sunday, when the Santa Barbara County Fire Department allowed the couple to go back in to look through the rubble and see if there was anything that could be salvaged, they found Laura's engagement ring. There's a picture of it, and it is certainly damaged, but you can tell what it is, and Isu dropped to his knee and proposed to her right there and then all over again. From the look of the picture, she must have said yes. The couple understands that it's important to keep the main thing 
the main thing. Our scripture lesson this morning goes through what to our ears may sound like complicated language to help us become very clear about what the main thing is. And it really boils down to two simple things. Everything that happens and is, is within the plan of God. In other words, nothing can happen that God can't be present in it. And the good news is that you're part of the plan. This wonderful text basically says that in Christ, every experience that we have can be reframed to understand God's presence in our most bracing joys, in our cherished achievements, in our most troubling temptations and fears, when you back up and you look through your eyes of faith, you can and will see God. In our regrets, and even in our losses, those things can be rewritten in faith because in Christ, we are joined with the power and presence of a living God that will help us translate. In Christ, we are knit together so that as the people of God, when any of us rejoices, we rejoice together. And when any of us is broken and suffers loss, we sing resurrection songs together. This in Christ business is not simply some sentimentality but an awareness that in Christ, together we become a community that can be truth-telling and truth-living in our reflection and examination of each other in the world. In other words, Christ is in us, Christ is among us, seen by us and seen through us, experienced by us and as a representative experience of who Christ is in the world. It's the picture. And the result is a new unity where divisions no longer have to exist. Where it becomes neither Jew nor Gentile, neither white nor black, neither American nor Ghanan, we are as God's people. And that's when it happens. The writer of Ephesians would have us understand that the implication of finding ourselves at one with Christ and as one community in Christ, that we become a people able 
to praise God in all things. Most of us can track with this kind of expression and enjoy praise part until we take a deep breath and remember the week. There's not a person in here that hasn't had some kind of difficulty or struggle in which it might feel difficult to wrap Christ into it and reframe it in Christ's experience. Were we and are we not tempted to look at the world and say it's going to in a handbasket? Which means that at times it's hard to find hope in anyone, any place, any nation, and we wonder where the good news is. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he's not so naive as to believe that this kind of unity and awareness is a universal experience. There were divisions in the church then as there are now, divisions within countries, even our own, despite our best work. What Paul does say is that Christians are illumined by the hope and the trust that God has redeemed all of this through God's grace. And that we can celebrate the presence of God which has made possible that divisions in our world no longer exist. They've been destroyed in Christ. We don't have to live as defeated people. We're invited to name the people and places in our world that are hopeless and begin to include them in the power and plan of God revealed in Christ in all things. Because that very act reminds us of the scandalous good news of the gospel. So if we don't live in that place of hope and wholeness, how do you get there? Well, first, we are invited never to doubt that God's plan includes us. You, you, all of you, and me. Period. God's done the work to include you and me, and we really have no say in that inclusion. So there. It isn't up to you. It isn't up to me whether or not God loves us. It is God's choice and God's choice alone. So if it's hard to accept, get over it. Frederick Buechner wrote a book many years ago called Whistling in the Dark about Paul. There's a segment in it about Paul, and he says, Paul was one of those guys where, you know what it means to justify a page? Where the writing, when you justify it, goes to the ends and lines up all neat and lovely? Buechner says that 
If you understand that, that's kind of what God does with justifying grace. He gets us all lined up. Makes it all right in us. It's not our doing, it's God's doing. And he goes on to say that during the Pharisee phase in Paul's life, on his way to Damascus, his good work was in mopping up the Christians. And that's when he hears the voice of God. And the voice of God, rather than saying, just you wait, says, I'd like for you to be on my side. Imagine Paul never got over hearing that. To, one, to, to be so adamant in causing the harm against Christ and then to be invited into the work. Here's a quote. At a moment in his life we had least reason to expect it, Paul was staggered by the idea that no matter who you are or what you've done, God wants you on God's side. There's nothing you have to do or be. It's on the house. It goes with the territory. God has justified you, lined you up. And to feel this somehow in your bones is the first step on the way to being saved. Did you know God loves you and makes everything okay because that's the way God is? That God's rotten about you? Barbara Brown Taylor has an evocative little story about her childhood. Her grandmother apparently was a, a tough, stern kind of woman who was an awesome presence to a small child, she says. She was known for her shrewd business dealings and her bad temper. Apparently, though, she loved and adored her grandchildren, uh, and she lavished presence and time and love on them. Even so, she was an intimidating kind of figure. She had lost both of her legs due to uncontrolled diabetes. She wore these dark aviator glasses to uh, protect her eyes, and Taylor reports that she looked more like a bomber pilot, a handicapped bomber pilot. But when she loved her grandchildren, it was a night of pampering. She would go to her grandmother's and grandma would fill up the tub with bubbles. You know, the way grandmas will do. And, and she'd slide her into the tub and bathe every limb with this big soft sponge. And when she got her out of the tub, she'd pat her dry and, and anoint her with Jergens. Do you remember that smell? That, was, that is a smell from almost all of our youth. And then grandma would get out the evening in Paris dusting powder. Do you remember those things? They sat in your mother and grandmother's bathroom and they'd be these big powder puffs and they'd pat you all over. And she said, when I was done, I was absolutely convinced that I was loved. 
Paul wants you to know and be absolutely convinced. The main thing is the main thing, that you are loved and a part of this plan. Verses 3 through 10 go on to tell us that we have freely and undeservedly received God's grace because that's what God offers. And then what you and I are to use as we understand the world and each other. In verse 3, the word is blessed comes from the root word eulogy, and usually when we think of eulogy, we think of a person who has died and we say nice things about what they did, or we think of the blessings in terms of the stuff that we have. That's not the way Paul uses blessing. Paul asks that we consider that blessing is a receiving of who God is, God's self, and that God blesses us with his very presence, the spiritual blessings that come to us in heaven's form. Because you and I, in verse 4, are chosen. We're created and chosen humans for a particular purpose of reflecting Christ in the world. We are God's mirror image. Verse 5, we are destined. Destined is a biblical word for adoption. Because in Rome, adopted children had the same rights and privileges of natural-born children but adopted babies, they're the ones that you choose to take home. The ones that are precious because they are who they are. Bestowed his grace in verse 6. The purpose of God's bestowing of grace is in the hopes that you and I get our saving and then will not withhold it from another. Would we share God's grace for the purpose of unifying the world so that there is no Jew or Gentile? That this world was meant for love, not just for single people. Verse 7 has the word lavished. In other words, God's not stingy, my friends, with this love. It is redemptive. And redemption is what is paid to free a slave. That's what that language means, to be redeemed. And that forgiveness that we receive would have been understood in the Old Testament as having been bought and paid for by the sacrifice of an animal and its blood. And so when, when Paul talks about forgiveness, he knows at what price it has come to us. So that you and I, in verse 9, make it known with all wisdom and insight, the mystery of God's will, so that we are gathered up in this new reality in which heaven and earth come together under the rule of Christ. We are in Christ, 
Christ in us. Did you know that you, you, all of you, all of us look like a child of God and we are the mirror of God in the world. It's the main thing. Lizzie Velasquez was born in 1989 with a rare, rare congenital disease that is non-life-threatening, thanks be to God, but it has left her unable to gain weight. So this sweet thing has never weighed more than 67 pounds in her whole life. She eats between five and 8,000 calories a day just to maintain herself. Her left eye began to cloud when she was four and she is sight impaired in the right one. She looks a little like a person who has progeria, the disease where you, you look old when you're young. In 2006, someone put her on a YouTube video at the age of 17 claiming she was the world's ugliest woman. And that's when Lizzie became an advocate against bullying. She understands the main thing. She sees God's plan in her life, and she recognizes the power to mirror grace. And as a result, she is a person of joy. She is known for her optimism. You see, a Christian, a church, that is marked by a consistent focus on what is God is doing in our midst and in the midst of this troubled world. That is a person, that is a community that can praise God and live into the pure glory of it. Because there's no place where God can't be. I'm sure all of us were watching sometime this week to find out when the last of the Thai children's soccer team would be released from their watery cave. Did you know that as they were getting the last children out that the water pump was failing? Did you know that the seals who were doing the rescue understand that would have been an abort criteria. Should have stopped. So what did the SEALs do but grab their kids and continue getting them out? Because there was no question. Did you know that an American SEAL by the name of Hodges was asked if there were other trying times during the operation that it seemed like the rescue was going to be impossible? And he said, well, absolutely. And even though the odds seemed impossible, he says, I've always been taught to take the risk 
to be bold when the situation calls for it. And this situation did. Here's a person that kept the main thing, the main thing. Did you know that one of the seals died early in the mission because of the oxygen they were trying to figure out on how to get the kids out? Did you know that the last member of the team to leave was an Australian doctor named Richard Harris, whose father at the beginning of this ordeal, when he had just gotten into the cave to treat the children, found out that his father had died. And he stayed until the end. You could say he was in the process of adopting. Did you know that the health officials said that the boys are all doing well mentally? Now, I marvel at that. I don't know about you, but nine days before anyone finds them in the dark, would have been close to undoing me. But perhaps he says the reason they managed is that they stayed together. That the coach who took care of them not only should be admired, but one of the things he taught them to withstand the ordeal was to meditate or to pray. Does it matter what the religion was? They were being taught to see God in the situation. So do you see how everything that appears to be going to in a handbasket? But for these children, the world began to see them as precious children of God, worthy of the price that needed to be paid so that strangers came together in unity and when all of it was said and done there was neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free just God's people doing what God's people do keeping the main thing the main thing then do you know what they did? Just what the scriptures said they would do. They celebrated and they praised and we all saw God and we all felt God and we all saw in a heartbeat how important and powerful and life-changing it can be when the main thing is the main thing. So let's pray. Lord, forgive our distraction and our forgetting of how close you are, how ready you are to be present and transformative in our lives and in our experiences. Help us to know you in new ways and to never forget. In Christ's name, amen.